This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 631. And the quote of the day is, great creative minds think like artists, but work like accountants. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 631, and I'm pumped about this one because this is a great, great conversation. It's pretty long, too. I'm surprised how long we chatted, but this is with Mark Pusey, and Mark is a UK drummer who is a studio drummer. He's a touring drummer. He does voiceover work. He plays on major motion picture soundtracks. He's worked with Tom Jones. He works with Ed Sheeran for about the last 10 years, Ali Murs. The list goes on and on. And we get really deep into the conversation around what gets you the gig, how to act on the gig, uh, how to, you know, get more gigs or, or quote unquote, network with people, which we both agree is a horrible word. Uh, we don't agree with the word networking, but just building relationships and then developing your skill set uh, on the other side of that coin. So a really in-depth conversation and Mark has a ton of valuable insight. And like I said, it's it's a pretty lengthy conversation that we had. I could have gone on for a lot longer as well. So uh, I'll leave you with this conversation with my man, Mr. Mark Pusey. Mark, what's happening, buddy? Hey, man, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. It's going well. Okay. So, what what time is it? So, it's a little. We're doing an so, evening session for you. Yeah, you're you're LA. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of just gone seven here. I guess it's eleven for you. Eight hours. It difference. is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so not too bad then. No, 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 not too bad. Not too bad. I remember uh, Alphonse Muzon always wanted to do an interview, and every time he sent me a time back, it was like three a.m. my time. And I was like, was he? he was in LA, but he wanted to do it at like, he wanted, I was, I was living in East Co- on the East coast at the time. And he, uh. it, he would want to do it at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning, which would be like three o'clock in the morning for me. And I was like, is there any other time that we could do yeah. this? And he'd be like, how about, you know, 4 a.m. or something like that. Yeah. And unfortunately he passed away and it never happened. So sorry oh. to start the episode on a somber, on a somber yeah. note, but it was just interesting that like, I was like. There's no other time but three o'clock in the morning that you have to uh, to do. It's this. a shame. It's a shame. Video of that doesn't exist. It would have been like, oh, so morning, Alphonse. Well, you know, how's it <laughs> yeah. going? Tell me about your drum. Just trying to keep your eyes open at three a.m. <laughs> yeah. talking about drums. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so I want to I want to build a little bit of backstory for the listeners about about you and how you got into playing. I always love the origin story of. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's, I grew up in a family of musicians, but other times it's like, I don't know. I just grabbed this pot at my house and started hitting it with stuff. And uh, ever since then, I've been a drummer. So what was your, what was your foray into drumming? Well, it's kind of cobbled together from a bunch of stories because I don't, I mean, I was a fairly late starter. I hear about all these mm-hmm. stories about, you know, Buddy starting at two years old, like Buddy the Wonder Traps kid or, or whatever his name was. And he was like yeah, a touring yeah almost like a sort of freak show with the circus <laughs> yeah. thing. And, you know, at two years old, he was, you know, knocking the socks off everyone. Um, but but I started fairly late. I guess I started about 11, maybe 12 years old. And I always wondered, okay. you know, if I had a bit more of a head start, I'd be much better than I am now. But, um, 
I'm yeah, going to use that as my excuse. I started when I was 15, so. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I guess, yeah. you know, like you see these kids learning language at eight years old and it's just, you know, it's super easy for them. But yeah, yeah so I so I started about 11, uh, about 11 years old. Um, and it my, my folks said that any time we used to go on holiday or we used to walk past a bandstand or there'd be any sort of live music, you know, they'd be pulling me along on the street and I'd just stop and just mm-hmm. stare at this music, just like hypnotized. So I guess it was always um, an interest, even before I knew it was an interest. And then one day when we were, I guess I was like 10 or 11, I watched this uh, music program and it was, um, it was Queen and Roger Taylor was, they, they, they did this, all these close-ups on Roger Taylor. I was like, that looks cool. And then we went on holiday. And when we went on holiday, the rep who was looking after all the kids club stuff, and I was in the kids clubs and uh, did all the best events and all the girls fancied this guy he was the, the hot the hot rep you know <laughs> and all the guys wanted to be him he did all the cool activities he also played drums in the house band uh, and, um, game over <laughs> well yeah but that's not all because one night he got this he got this kid up he said oh by the way ladies and gentlemen you know before the show starts tonight they were playing some tunes uh, there's somebody in the audience who plays some drums and I was like oh really that's cool and this kid much younger than me like eight nine years old got up and on his cherry red Yamaha 9000, um, he played My Girl. You know the song My Girl? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, great tune. And the kid did a really good job. And everybody lost their minds. They were like, wow, he's only a kid and he, he sounds great, you know. Um, and I just turned to my mum and was like, that. I want to do that. That's so cool. He just got up and played the drums. And yeah. I went back and I bothered and bothered and bothered my folks about it. And they ended up buying me a pair of sticks from a music shop and... I just hit, I would hit everything. I'd hit newspapers and set up all the cushions and the pillows around the living room, just you know, nice. all the way, just hit everything. Um, and my parents were smart and um, we didn't have a massive amount of money growing up, but they they, they found enough money to, to, to uh, allow me to take private lessons once every couple of weeks. And um, mm-hmm. I had a teacher and he taught me to read and it was, um, my, my, my folks have always said that I'm, an obsessive or a compulsive type. If I do anything, uh, I, I don't sort of do it by halves. In so far mm-hmm. as when I started playing drums, I was obsessed. It's all right. I wanted to do. It's all I thought right. about. I read drum magazines. You know, I did a paper round so I could so I could buy a torch so I could read the Zildjian magazine under the covers <laughs> after lights out. And you know, I could tell you what Dave Wacker was playing in 1987 and this you know all this ridiculous stuff. And you know, I, I went completely in at the deep end. So mm-hmm. yeah, when it started, it, it really started. That story reminds me of once, um, once Charlie Watts passed away, they posted a, a little quote that he had said, and it said, it, I wanted to play the drums because I fell in love with the, because I fell in love with the glitter and the lights, but it wasn't about adulation. It was just about being up there playing, Yeah, which I thought was yeah. like a, was, I think that resonated for a lot of people where it was like, none of us started playing drums because we wanted people to admire us or, or that we were like, we wanted to be famous. It was like, I just wanted to be up there playing with the lights and the, and the energy and, and all of that. And you saying that story really reminds me of, of that quote from him. That's, that's been my stick shtick, if you like, uh, to coin a pun, um, my whole life. I mean, when you're a kid, you know, people say about their early influences, and you know you find music or you get exposed to music and you end up loving that music right mm-hmm. and the same is true of me my drum teacher hit me some stuff people i liked playing with said oh you should listen to this this is great but really early on we're talking day one 
you don't have a music collection, right? So you play your music, your favorite music is really what your parents listen to. And back then it was Elton John and ABBA and um, uh, the Carpenters, whatever was in the car, basically, whatever cassette right. tapes my parents listened to and they listened to around the house. And a lot of these bands weren't, it wasn't like Queens of the Stone Age and or, 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 or you know, Foo Fighters and you're watching Taylor Hawkins or you're watching, um, you know, a drummer uh, that, in a rock band who's a rock star. A lot of the mm -hmm. music I was exposed to early on was being played by studio guys or sidemen, session guys, for the most part. So I grew did, up thinking- Did you know that at the time though? No, no. Well, okay. when I started looking into these bands, and I mean, there wasn't the internet so much, but um, right. when I'd look on liner notes and stuff in the albums, it was like, oh, that's a guy called Hal Blaine. And this is a guy called Carlos Vega. And this is a guy called Jeff Beccaro. These huge studio guys that became my, my sort of heroes, so to speak. Um, they they weren't famous and because there was no internet you know unless you got a copy of modern drummer and they were in that particular episode in that particular issue there was no real way to find out about these guys if you were living in you know england like i i, I definitely was at that age and right. um so the idea of getting into it because you wanted to be a superstar well first off these guys were in terms of public profile nobody's really they weren't right. rock stars they were they were blue collar studio guys Mm -hmm. um they they were they were jobbing musos they weren't uh, and they sit in the back the drummer sits in the back right. and the drummer doesn't play a melodic instrument as such so there's no real context to be able to give him the the, the spotlight unless there's a drum solo which i've never sort of really been all that into um so the idea that people get into it because they want to be a rock star to me is like uh, that that was not my thing i just want to be sat in the back <laughs> you know like i was never you know, the early stuff I was exposed to was just music, singer-songwriter mm -hmm. stuff, decent music. Um, but Elton John was the star. You know, Nigel Olsen's right. Wicked and Charlie Morgan's Wicked, but they're, they're sort of sat in the back and they're they're side men and they're um, making the making the music sound great for the guy at the front, which is how right. I, in terms of um, how I began and how I still think now. That's that's what I love doing. That's that's sort of mm -hmm. my job. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I would say most younger people when they get into it don't realize the whole like sideman versus being in the band thing and then you know there's there's sort of a learning curve there to understand that if a band goes out there's there might be one or two guys who own the band as a mm -hmm. business and everyone else is is a hired gun just like an employee uh, but then the general public also although they go and see the star. I don't think that they realize that, you know, if you go see whoever, you know, pick a band, uh, that this person is the guy and all of these other people are just, you know, they sometimes get replaced quickly or or are employees of the band. I think it's a I think it's an interesting thing to uh, to learn at a young age that which direction do you want to go? Do you want to try to be in a band and owned it, own it and, you know, start it from the ground up? Or do you want to go out and try to work with multiple bands and be a sideman? Well, that's that's sort of how I really started. Not not as a, a freelancer or a session thing or anything like that. But where, but where I grew up, um, there were a couple of people played guitar at my school, but there was no music department at my school. And this is kind of secondary mm -hmm. school, or I guess high school, like the, in the right. US would be the equivalent. Um, so there was no real there was 
there was no band there were no there was nothing really happening in that terms and a couple of guys incidentally played the guitar so we'd hang out and we'd play but after school every night of the week i was playing if it was the local town band or the county orchestra or the local brass band or a marching band or a choir or a- anything that needed drums anything it just irrespective of of what kind of music it was i just wanted to play so right. um i i was never in a band and when it finally came to in my very early 20s i joined a band and we got signed and had a record deal i didn't i didn't like it very much i mean i must be the only drummer in the world yeah i loved hanging out with my friends but the idea of playing the same 15 songs every night for the rest of my life which is just like you know (laughs) we'd we'd go into a band rehearsal and then we'd do a gig and and uh it'd be it'd be those tunes and you'd play those tunes and the same is true when you're playing with an artist you'll rehearse those tunes you'll go out on tour you'll end up playing those tunes but the idea of just doing that forever is crazy right you know i'd like right, to because do you that. can come home from that tour and then go play with a different band and play a exactly whole slate right. of different tunes it's like oh right. man i've got a i've got a job at the dog and duck next week playing some playing some jazz for on a sunday afternoon while people eat their lunch or whatever you know I, I, that would be great and then i'd be playing in this rock band and then i'd go and join this orchestra and that's and that's um i think that attitude's really helped in terms of me being a a freelancer if you like now like right. with um film soundtracks and stuff you know, mm-hmm. you, there's there's a passage in this movie where they need um something. It's from the 1930s. You have to play in the background, and you know we're we're trying to get this piece together. And if you go, well, I don't really know how to play a Charleston. I don't really know what Charleston is. You know, then then you don't get those jobs, and you don't right your versatility. Just the nature of me wanting to do everything and wanting to play every night helped my um help versatility it bred versatility mm-hmm. so it mm-hmm. meant that oh well a, a song go yeah sure i know how to do that or right. a mambo or, or, or a, a clave you know knowing all that stuff um and that's nothing against people in bands because some of my favorite players are band players but it was just through necessity really i just wanted to do everything i wanted to be able to play everything so if anybody went can you do this gig it's a it's a latin gig yeah you know i can i can right. i can get away with that I sound like a gringo with a really bad English accent playing, but <laughs> I can I can fool some people, you know. Um, right. I, I loved that. I never never was really a band guy. Do you think that if you look at so, like we'll just pick someone like a Chad Smith, right? Mm. So you don't see him. To your point, you don't see him doing music, you know, soundtracks or commercials or anything like that. Do you think that he doesn't do it because he doesn't need the money, or he or you know doesn't have the versatility and i let's remove chad out of it so we're not putting a name on it because i don't mean this about chad because i know i know that he can play a lot of different styles Mm -hmm. um but do you think that band guys end up just getting sort of compartmentalized into this box and don't go out and learn how to play a songo and a bossa nova and and all these different styles because they don't need to and then yeah i mean i don't know about ability that's uh, I just don't know. So to, to take your point about Chad, it's like I I know Chad is a killer player, like a killer rock right. player. I've been to see the Chili Peppers a bunch of times, and I know that he too is is fairly versatile, and he is a student of the drums, so he can probably play hundreds of different styles. But it's more the point that, um, say say you're doing a film session, you wouldn't think who's that drummer from that famous band. You know, I'll get him in. You'd get somebody who is known for being versatile and somebody who's right. known like um like 
Charlie, what, my, one of my favourite ever drummers, and as far as I'm concerned, one of the best drummers that ever lived, Ringo, um, mm-hmm. is, is the perfect, perfect, perfect musician in the Beatles. He's just, there's nobody yeah. that could ever do that gig better. Um, and I love Ringo and everything he's done outside of, outside of the Beatles as well. But I'm not sure if you'd, um, you, you'd put two and two together and think, oh, I'm, I'm doing a gig at the weekend for this Latin band or whatever. Um, I'll get Ringo Starr in. You know, right. A, he probably wouldn't want to because he's in his mansion with his beautiful wife or whatever. Right. Um, and B, he well, probably can't afford him, but uh, if you yeah, could, you know, if you could, <laughs> if, if you could persuade him to come do it. Yeah, it would be it would be just more more that it wouldn't occur to you to, I guess, hire those guys. Not that they weren't able to do it, not that they weren't versatile themselves, not that they didn't have the ability, but more that it just, you know, there are people that do that. And those were the guys I grew up like Jeff or or more particularly Carlos Vega. You listen to stuff Mm -hmm. that Carlos did and the most burning Latin stuff. And there's an album called Balconies uh, that Matt Rollins did. And he's like, it's like straight ahead. He's, he's killing. And then he'd go and do Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. And he played drums on the Grease soundtrack. And it was, that's what I was so turned on by. I was like, it's incredible. You know, in a, in a, in a, in an economic sense as well. Obviously, the more you can do, the more opportunities you open to yourself to be able to play and become, um, saleable or, or hireable um but also because that spurns from just wanting to play and not going yeah okay i'm gonna wait for the next big rock band to come and i'll be a big deal i'll be a big rock star i i don't i don't want any of that stuff i really right. i've worked with enough people who have a lot of profile to know that that's something i would never ever want for myself i would deal with it terribly but also because everyone those... deals with it terribly yeah which is I, which there's there's a guy and I interrupted you and I apologize. Uh, really? uh, you'll you'll learn that I'm going to do that a few times because I'm that's Go ahead. sorry. Uh, but there's um, there's there was a, a manager named Shep Gordon and mm. they wrote he wrote a book called uh, Supermensch and he talks about he he managed Alice Cooper for years and and uh, sort of invented the whole celebrity chef movement and all that kind of stuff. But long story short, he tells every client that he's ever had, he said, if I do my job correctly, you know, and make you famous, uh, then you, you will be miserable. He's mm-hmm. like, I've never heard, I've never seen anyone handle fame really, really well. And, and it, because people aren't meant to be worshipped and well, it yeah, messes I, with people's heads. No, I completely see that. And that's, that's succinctly exactly it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so unhealthy. It's just, I mean, I, it's one thing having people you respect, say a, a drum show or a gig or something, people who know, people who, right. who like, if, if a compliment comes from a colleague, um, yeah. I'm like, wow, okay, really, that means a lot. Thank you very much. Because you know what it takes to have done that and you're appreciating it comes from a place of, of knowing what it takes to be there. Right. But if, Johnny Bag of Donuts from the street comes up and goes, oh my God, you're on TV. It's like, yeah, I am, I guess, you know, yeah. like. I love you. And you're like, you don't know anything about me. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I might be a complete asshole. I try not yeah. to be, but it's, it's more, yeah, it's just, and I've seen that. It's like, and, and we joke. In fact, we were, we were doing a, a, a gig with, uh, with somebody of profile a couple of days ago. And, um, and uh, we were all like, there was somebody who was following our bus uh, on a bike 
on a, on a bicycle <laughs> as in we, we came out of this tv show this filming thing and and uh, went straight onto the bus and the person like got something signed as we were coming to the bus and we all got on the bus and we were like oh she was there this morning as well and then she got on her bike and she started following the bus like you know <laughs> pedaling hell hell for leather down the down the down the road to to, to follow the bus and we all looked at each other and like and now what like right what what what's the best thing that's going to happen there are we going to pull over and sign something else or even you get <laughs> or on, say 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 it's like oh cool you you're really into it okay cool get on the bus we'll hang out and then you hang out what do you want to marry them or 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 <laughs> right. what's the end game what's the what's the bit what's the payoff there do you know what i mean like yeah. and that's and that's why i think it's such a crock of crock of rubbish i mean everybody's into stuff and man i i'll never ever forget meeting you know meeting my heroes and and turn around to my folks like mom mom i shook his hand it was really cold you know like because you, right. you, you're into that stuff but and then it, what do you say it's, it's like i want to meet yeah, them so bad and then you finally meet them and you've nothing to say <laughs> i i would i would absolutely my my gig if 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 randy newman turned around to me and said oh you know you come on tour but you'll never be able to play drums again I'd consider it. I'd be like, I really want to play drums with Randy Newman. That's so good. I mean, I've, uh, he's, he's great. He's one of my heroes in terms of right. film composition, in terms of the, the, the pop output he's, ha- he's put out and all the rest of it. And I really, I'd, I'd love obviously to meet him and, and hang and chat. But I kind of think like, where would it go? Like I'd, I'd say, Randy, you know, you're great and I love this and I love that. And then you'd have to start talking about you know, so, you know, weather's cool, isn't it? Or or where have you come from? Because you don't want to come across like a complete fanboy. But right. at the same time, I am. I just I just am. So it's a really weird line to cross. And just knowing that, that that's going through somebody's head when you're meeting them, if you're a famous person. Yeah. Makes the whole situation yeah. so eggy. Got to have a picture. Why? What, so you can tell people you met me? You know, <laughs> it's, I, I don't get I, any of it. I really... I really I, don't, I, and I'm glad I'm not ever having to deal with any of that. You know, I'm not. Yeah. You know, oh, I deal with. It I, really I get it. I mean, I like. Yeah. I I agree with you. The idea of I would like to be recognized among my peers. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, but outside of that, uh, you know, it. I I have no desire to be to be fam- like. Can you imagine being being like Justin Bieber? Well. The, the, Where can you an go? Interesting, so do you guys, you guys probably don't know Robbie Williams in the United States. Do yeah. You? Robbie Williams. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. he, he, he said something of, of everyone. He said something that was really, really hit the nail on the head. And it was something along the lines of the bigger you get, the smaller your world. So when mm. you're small, when you're nobody, you know, you can go out your front door, you can go to the shops, you can get an ice cream, you can come back home and, you know, whatever. And then a few people know you. So you might go to the shops and you might get hassled or, or not hassled, but somebody might go, oh, okay. And then you get a little bit bigger. And when you go to the pub, people stop you and ask for photos. So maybe you don't go to that pub anymore. And then you get a little bit bigger and you can't even go to gigs or you can't sort of go shopping without people bothering you. And then you get stratos- stratosphere big and you don't want to leave your house. So right. it's like the bigger you get, the smaller your world, the smaller the, the the fewer places you can go to to relax or go where you don't get hassled. And it sounds like that, hell. Yeah, that's what what bit of that is the bit you want. I mean, ugh, I want money. You know, go 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 learn finance. Put your, bury your head in some books and become a trader. Right. 
or something. Yeah, and no know. one will bother you. <laughs> no one will bother you. And you'll have a great house gated and it'll be, you'll be a billionaire and you'll be happy yeah. and get to do all that stuff without getting bothered. A, a good friend of mine had Best of Both Worlds, sold 14 million records and nobody knew who he was. Oh, and, like songwriters. And he, like, quietly, yeah, and he could just walk around. I mean, once yeah. in a while, you, you know, someone would recognize him or something yeah. like that. But by and large, like no one knew who he was. And I'm like, right. that's, the, like that's the way you want to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. And again, recognition from your peers, like uh, uh, very, very infrequently, you know, you'll get a text saying, oh, I just, I just heard this. And, you know, your name is on the credits, man. Good job. Or you'll be at a gig yeah. and somebody go, oh, I heard you on that thing. It, was, yeah, it sounded great. And you're like, oh, I used to come, yeah. to come to watch you. I used to sneak into jazz clubs to watch you play. So your opinion means the world to me. And yeah. the fact that you've just said that's really like, wow, you know, thanks, man. Um, but in terms of a guy who's just a fan of the person you work with coming up to you on the street and going, oh, my God, it's you. You're like, yeah, it is me, isn't it? Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Not that that I, uh, happens, by the way, but I'm just, I'm just making the if it If it were know. to happen. Yeah. I, you know, I actually got a text last week from a guy that, that I looked up to for years and same deal, read about him in Modern Drummer and listened to mm. all his albums and everything. And he shot me a text and was like, hey, man, I listened to that interview you did with so-and-so. It, you know, it was really great and and keep up the good work. And I'm like, yeah, man, like that's so, like that. That means so much more to me than yeah. like someone pouring their heart out to me that I'm like I've no like, I don't know. Like, I love the people, you know, obviously I love the people listen to the podcast and everything, mm. but like getting a text like that, you're like that. I'd much rather have that than a thousand people waiting for me outside of a store wanting my autograph. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I completely agree. When it's something that you respect and, 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 and or someone rather you respect and really look up to, then yeah, you, you take a billion of them before you take the money. At, at least for I sure. Would. Yeah. I mean, I'll take the money. But anyway. Yeah, um, maybe both. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you don't want yours, you can you can send it to me. Mm. Um, so I, I, I want to rewind a little bit. We were talking about being versatile. And the reason why you get phone calls is because you can play this particular style or or you understand what a, a particular time pe- or, a, you know, an error would sound like or or uh, whatever the case may be. When when I was a younger player, and even now to some extent, I mean, but when I was a younger player, it was always overwhelming to me of learning styles of you know how do you how do you learn all these styles? Where do you start? What's the most important ones? Uh, how do you know when to stop working on a particular style to move move on to the next? And I know this is this is a loaded question, but generally speaking, how do you how do you recommend people navigate? learning all these styles to be versatile because i think there's you know or i know for a fact there's way more uh jobs out there for sidemen and 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 people who can play multiple styles than people who are looking to join a band and rise to the top and be rock stars um how how to do it is is kind of weird i mean i i never i never like i said i never set out to do that um it was just through necessity really it was just i had uh like I say, you know, I'd, I'd join a, a brass band um, and, you know, there'd be a, a piece by Elgar in an orchestra I was in and, you know, the, 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 you know, the conductor or the, 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 the music director would be like, oh, by the way, you know, this bit, you need, to, you need to do this because this is what he was thinking and this. And so there was good guidance along the way. I guess setting out a good teacher, 
a good teacher is worth their weight in gold because they'll be able to push you in the right direction. If you if you go to a teacher that's any good and say, look, I want to be I want to be versatile. I want to be able to play this kind of music. They'll be able to put your point in the right direction. But I really don't know that there's any excuse for younger players that want that to not achieve it because um like spot i i can turn on spotify and have something like a billion songs at my disposal like that so yeah google is your friend just just if you want to if you want to um if you want to learn i don't know pop then google pop artists if you want to learn a specific time period like 70s music google that and then listen to it and play along to it or mm. buy a book or or, or or get a lesson from a great latin teacher or a great jazz teacher or a pop teacher or whatever um really with the internet now my, mine came out of necessity i just wanted to play every night of the week so i'd be going to these different gigs these different jams or the rest of it in terms of studying that stuff you'll i guess find something you love doing you know like i i can play jazz i'm all right i'm i'm pretty good i can kind of hold my own but mm-hmm. if there was something that was really burning i'd be like do you know what i'm not the guy for this you need to call this guy this guy's the best big band town big band player in town like here there's uh ralph salmons and neil wilkinson and mike smith and ian thomas and those guys are like you should call those guys for that right and if there's a specific type of r&b i can play it i can I can play it pretty well. But if you want a very specific niche type where there's lots of there are a few guys in town that can do that really well because that's what they live and breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the versatility thing only goes so far. My thing is I love singer-songwriters. So right. whilst I can do all, juggle all these balls and kind of get away with it in different different styles, I really love playing with sort of singer-songwriters. Um, so in your in your quest to be super versatile... Don't be versatile for versatile's sake, I would say. You have to be versatile to be saleable. You're a product right. at the end of the day. Right. You are somebody, you're a plumber. If you're a plumber that can do U-bends, but you can't install showers, well, you've just you've just lost half of your possible employment. Right. Um, but there comes, there comes a time where it's like, oh, well, I can take out the old shower. I can put in the new shower. I can make all your water run and stuff, but I can't tile around the edge of your shower to make it look amazing you'll need to get somebody else for that so there becomes a limit to your versatility metal for example i can play metal and i've never owned a double pedal so Mm -hmm. that probably wouldn't be my thing but i like it and i listen to it but um don't chase versatility for the sake of it mine just came out of necessity wanting to play different styles but there's really no excuse not to i mean go listen to some music Mm-hmm. You want to learn Latin? It's there. It's there. You know, like yeah. we didn't have it, right? You know, we couldn't Google. Uh, like when I was a kid, you know, Horacio Hernandez yeah. was was the guy. Conversations in Clave, that book. It was like, you know, to get that, you'd have to buy the DCI instructional video, and yeah. then you'd and then, and then watch it on tape. And all of my drum cassette tapes went <laughs> tracking in certain bits. <laughs> where rewinding up. Wait a minute, what's he doing? Yeah. You know, now you can you can have it on your screen, you can have it on your phone, you can import it, slow it down, speed it up, you know, change the key of it. Mm-hmm. There's just no excuse. And and that's to some detriment sometimes. Um I remember Gavin Harrison saying about uh people not giving music the attention it deserves. And I he's agree probably with that. right. 
like when I when I was a kid, I I had my paper round so I could buy stuff for my drums. I had so I could buy music. My drum teacher would go, "Kind of blue. You need to get a kind of blue." It's a jazz album. It changed a lot of stuff. So I'd be like, "Okay," and you know, I might not understand it or Asia, the album Asia by Stevie Dan. Mm-hmm. So he'd 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 say, "Go and buy this." And come to me in two weeks and tell me what you think of it. Now, two weeks listening to nine tracks. And I like my paper route, I could buy maybe a CD every couple of weeks or a, a t- cassette tape every couple of weeks. So I'd buy it. I'd listen to it to the end. And then when I got to the end, I'd start again and listen to it again. Because it's the one thing I had. It was ta- tactile. It was I would hold right. it and feel it and put it in the cassette tape. So by the time two weeks came, I knew every note. I knew every word, every expression, every bar of that music because I didn't have an alternative. Right. And now part of the problem is, so it was a real learning process. You'd be forced to, the art lies in the detail and you'd be forced to, to watch and listen to that detail. But now the problem is having so much of that stuff at your disposal, if you don't like it, next, yep. and it's gone. That's gone. Yeah. That's your, you know, if 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 at 13 years old my drum teacher went this is kind of blue you should listen to it and i listened to it now i'd be like ah not really my thing right and and that was that that's done yeah and yeah. and that and- that fire would never been igni- would never have been ignited and the fact i was forced to sit with it and listen to it and go actually this is pretty good you know i mean it, it happens so m- many times in life there's something that you're forced to stick with and all of a sudden you turn a corner it's like this is actually pretty good i don't mind this it's not so bad right people right. don't have that nowadays or um, when you get a record go ahead you, well you certainly don't have the self-discipline to go oh what these are two and a half billion songs on here yeah i'll stick with this one even though i don't like it you just wouldn't do <laughs> right. it you know like it's yeah 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 and i I remember listening to records years ago and even if it was from one of my favorite bands, like because it's all new to me, I would put it on and I would say, I'm not, this isn't, I'm not connecting with this at all. Mm. Right. But then that was the only record I had. That was the only yeah. new record I had. So I just listened to it over and over. And then all of a sudden songs start to pop out and then yep. you're like, Oh, track three, six, nine, and 12. They're, they're like my favorite track. And then you're like, this is one of my favorite records. I love this record because yeah. now I have this like emotional connection to it. But like you said, now you can skip through kind of blue. Nah, bitches brew. Nah, I don't really like that. Sketches of Spain. Eh, we'll skip that milestone. Eh, yeah. I, I listened to Miles Davis. I or either like, yeah, I listened to it and I got it or I listened to it and I didn't really like it. And it's like, well, you skip through 12 songs in yeah. 30 minutes. My, where, where, my how, how deep did you go? Yeah. The, the big gap in my knowledge um, was for years was, was Rush, was Neil mm-hmm. Peart. And I mean, so many US guys who I really respect and, and uh, love are like, oh man, you should listen to it. It's killer drumming. And I'd be like, isn't it kind of like, <laughs> like odd music? And that's another one that now I just lack the self-discipline to get a Spotify playlist together and get a bunch of Rush on there. I need somebody who knows Rush to go, you know what, you should start here, listen to this, and then go here. But it's right. it's just there's so much other stuff going on. And and if I'd have had that in my childhood, like I did with the stuff that I was listening to, um, I would really have appreciated it. It's only because, you know, by virtue of the fact that Rush weren't a, a thing so much in the UK, um, right. I missed I missed out on that and that's on my list of things to do it's on my to-do list is to go 
listen to listen to some rush and learn it because you know what with neil passing and all so many people said so many amazing things and it's a gap in my knowledge that i'm embarrassed to say i don't know enough about but um well i'm in that boat with you so yeah when you right? come up with the when you come up with the uh the rush playlist yeah. you let me know i mean Maybe there's you know there's there's a handful of songs that a buddy, a guy who taught me how to play drums was really into Rush. And he was mm-hmm. like, and I'd never heard of him before when, you know, I was 14 or something like that. And he's or 15. He's like, you got to listen to these guys. And I listened to, you know, 2112, YYZ, you know, there was a couple other songs. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But Getty, Getty Lee's voice just after a while, I couldn't take it. And I was really into like hip hop. And then I got into like hip old school hip hop that was like sampling James Brown yeah. and the meters and all this stuff. So it like rush never had that, like that bounce to it that I liked. Um, and then I just, same thing now, like I, and now I'm 40. So I'm like, I, I, I now I got to go back and, and try yeah. to listen to it with, with fresh ears. But I, I feel like, I feel like I should, I feel like as a drummer, I should probably do my homework given how revered he is. I mean, if yeah. somebody said to me, oh yeah, Beatles, I don't really know much Beatles. I'd be like, you don't know Beatles? What is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> yeah. but, but yeah. there are people in the same boat that just missed the boat on it. Didn't, didn't listen to it. Didn't have parents who were into it quickly got into something else and just didn't, you know, didn't, didn't, capture them um right but there's so much of drums and so much of music and so much of life that i'm like do your homework just do yeah. your homework you don't have to like it just know about it or know that it's there or give it a listen a cursory listen um but i definitely need to listen to rush i need to take my own advice and listen to rush i should i should yeah. do it especially after you know as i say neil passed and, and people were so rightly so so complimentary i mean you know admittedly like i think that i think i could use i mean i listen to a lot of beatles but i think that i could go deeper into the beatles and my my stones uh Mm. sort of knowledge is not that i mean i listen to a lot of rolling stones but like i never really did like a huge deep dive on the stones which i probably I, i probably should yeah i do um i i for some reason as I said before, I have sort of, I guess, an obsessive nature. You know, I I dive, do the very deep technical scuba diving in caves and all that stuff for six hours at a time, and um, which is crazy. I, which is crazy, but not crazy in a bad way, but crazy no, as no, in, I guess no, it amazing. is crazy. <laughs> but, you know, so I don't go into something and go, oh, I'll go for a swim over here. You know, I'll I'll go and die, I'll get really into it, and you know, I'm like that with everything, with music, with drums, with with, with anything I touch. And um, the same's true of the same's true of music. So, like when you say you need a deep dive in the Rolling Stones, that's what I tend to do. So I'll pick an artist. I don't know, uh, Michael McDonald, um, or who was recent. Like for some for some reason, Christopher Cross came on the radio. Uh, you know, Arthur's theme, which yeah, Jeff's on. Yeah. Jeff's all over it. Sounds he's good. all over so, that stuff. Yeah. So Jeff and and a lot of the Michael McDonald stuff. Yeah, but yeah. but but for some reason, Christopher Cross was. I like. I know this song. You think I got between the moon and New York City? It's kind of cheesy, you know. But mm-hmm. yacht rock, <coughs> else, yacht rock. Is I that do they, have, do they call that yacht rock in the oh, UK? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yacht rock. Okay. Yeah. In fact, there's this killer, killer band. I have to pimp uh, a guy called Andy Platt. Um, runs a band called Young Gun Silver Fox. Young Gun, Young Gun Silver, Silver Fox. Fox. Yeah, because Andy's the young gun and his co-conspirator is the silver fox. I can't remember the guy's name. 
killer, killer players. Do a lot of recording over here. And um, and man, they, they are basically the 2021 version of Michael. They're Yacht Rock, but taking it super seriously, writing new stuff for the 21st century. It sounds like a combination of Prince and Michael McDonald and... That's a killer. Oh, Hollow notes, you know, all that sort of stuff. They're they're really good. Hollow notes are things. like are one of my favorite duos ever. Yeah, yeah. Hands. Super, I mean, they're the most cool. successful duo of all time. But Have you like, ever seen Daryl's House? Is it Daryl's? Oh yeah, yeah. So cool. It's so, cool. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. My buddy Shane uh, is is the MD and guitar player. Oh for right. Dar- yeah. For, for Hall notes and for Daryl's House, and then Brian's so- uh, Brian Dunn's on drums. But that's like, so cool i seen some with sean pelton as well yeah um, he was in the earlier i think he uh he was in the first like maybe season or two seasons and then right. i think when brian i don't know something happened that he couldn't do some of the dates and brian was already playing with hall and oates so then they were just like why don't you just come up and do the come on these dates and then and now brian's the guy that's doing it yeah at, at the time i think sean pelton was wearing his gardening glove <laughs> have you really? seen that yeah, he he was wearing a he was wearing a um. It was a I, I read something that he I was like why is why is, why has he got that big Maybe he's burned his hand or something. It looked like a fireman's glove, right? Like a proper. Mitten I've never almost. seen that. Yeah, and I was like, why is he wearing that? And I I just did some research. I googled it, and it's like a, it was a gardening glove, and uh, I'm probably talking out of turn here, but it was something like it was it was to give him. An ex- a different feel or he he liked the way it felt or he wanted one hand to be different to the other so he could get a different vibe or it put him in a headspace or something there was a legitimate reason he was wearing a gardening glove and what? who am i to who am i to talk about why because right he sounded like sean pelton so it you know, works it sounded yeah it worked for him for absolute sure well um, i know he but, take he turns his sticks upside down and he tapes the yeah. ends of them and makes like a ball and they're like handles so yeah, he plays his sticks with the bud in. Yeah. Do you remember Billy uh, Billy Ward used to have a signature stick with True Line that had a ball like so at the end. Here's, here's your stick and you'd grip it here. It had a ball kind of that fitted into there. So like three quarters of the way down the stick, it would have like a look like an onion bulb. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. so you could have your hand super open and free. And I yeah. don't know. It never caught on for me, but but yeah, I, I you know. Whatever huh. floats your boat, whatever makes you play like Sean Pelton and Billy Ward, you go about your business. Yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do it. It's, yeah. And then let me know what all about it because either one yeah. of them, I'll. Uh, if you tell me I play like Sean Pelton or Billy Ward, I will give you a hug. So yeah, happy to do that. Uh, but, so talk like, about Christopher, the Christopher Cross stuff. You said so. You were- so yeah, and it was just it was just the minutia. Like my obsessive nature meant that I heard that song in the radio. I was like, I wonder what Chris, you know, Christopher Cross. As of course, there's "Ride Like the Wind" and you know the songs that you hear on the on the smooth radio channels when you're in the car or in or in coffee shops. And so I got in and I went down a rabbit hole. And for three weeks, I listened to nothing but Christopher Cross, which was a odd three weeks. And then, but looking at like. The lexicon of um, in the in the lexicon of singer songwriters, you know what he did and the recording process with Tommy, his drummer, and how Jeff came in and did some of those sessions and you know Christopher Cross was a band and not just the guy. Um, and then they sort of got eked out when they started bringing studio guys in, and then of course the studio guys on it. So like there was a there's a live Earthworks concert with Gary Novak on drums. And uh, huh. Lee Rittner on guitar, and 
you know, like you, you just go down these rabbit holes and think like, oh, wow, it's they all of these incredible artists have got a few guys in common, like Steve Gadd's on drums on this one and Alex Acuna's on percussion. And there's a reason why all these people call these guys and, you know, Alex, Alex is probably sat again. I just got a call from Christopher Cross, you know, like, yeah, he's yeah. okay. He might love him or he might be like, oh, it's so whack. This is rubbish. But he does it and you get, you get, you get those calls and... I guess that's that's being saleable. That's being incredible at your job and being. I think so, but but I but that's that's what I mean. Like I just go down this rabbit hole, and I need to go down a rush rabbit hole, and a, and a right. Rolling Stones one. I I know Rolling Stones more, and poor Charlie, you know, like I know Steve yeah. Jordan was doing that tour at the end of the year because uh, because Charlie just getting over an operation. But uh, um, yeah, my my friend John uh, John De Christopher um, is a huge huge Charlie. Oh yeah, man. he's all into all into yeah. lots. I'm yeah. I'm rightly so, and I need to pick his brains and go, look, give me the top ten Charlie vibes that really, yeah. really you know, light you up. Because there's so light light <laughs> light it up, you know, and uh, there's so many <laughs> Rolling Stones songs that are that are incredible. And I, I do have a grip on the Rolling Stones, unlike Rush and um in fact John told me a story once about um Charlie Watts. I met Charlie a couple of times, both very, very briefly. Um one was at the um, uh, American Drummers Achievement Awards, a Zildjian event in London. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to commemorate Ringo. Uh, they'd done one to Elvin and a bunch of other folk. Um, Vinny was on it. And so was Rick Marotta and Steve Gadd. They were playing, paying tribute to a bunch of different guys. Anyway, they wanted to do one in London paying tribute to Ringo. And I don't think Ringo was all that into it. So they wanted to do a tribute to um, Charlie. And Charlie was like, no, I don't need it. Thanks very much. And, and the same with uh, Roger Taylor from Queen and all these guys. And they were like, oh, God. Well, we, we want to do Ginger Baker as well. So it ended up being two Ginger Baker, this, this, right. the Ginger ba- Baker night. And they had a bunch of drummers come in and play. And Charlie turned up. Charlie turned nice. up to the gig, got on stage to chat. And I met Charlie at that event. And um, there's a story about Charlie Watts that he's so into style that he used to have a guy who would carry his wallet for him. Not because he was above carrying a wallet, but because it would spoil the line of a suit if he was to put the wallet in his pocket. <laughs> and I just thought that was so cool. That is so, so cool. That is amazing. I want to be rich enough to have a wallet, bitch. You know, yeah. ca- carry but this. I think you have to be cool enough too, though. Oh, God, yeah. I you got to be, you, like, off. you could be rich no. enough, but, like, you got to be cool enough, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and <laughs> obviously he was. It was Charlie Dan Watts of the Rolling of Stones, course. you know, so... So he, that he is amazing. Yeah, it was like, why does he got? Because it's got so much money. And nah, just because it spoils my suit if I'm trying to. Oh, okay, that's pretty <laughs> that's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. So there you go. It's my job. I never, I didn't think it was possible for me to love Charlie Watts more, but now I do. Yeah. That was the it's thing like that the, my. That was the thing that my parents used to say as well. It's like, oh, I need a new drum kit or I need a new cymbal for my birthday or I want, you know, there's that. Like, you know, Charlie Watts has had the same drum kit for 50 years. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, as he still played the old Gretsch, which is, you yeah. know, great. But that was their excuse not to, to get out of buy. Charlie Watts doesn't need new drums. Smart parents. Yeah. Smart yeah. parents. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of the, uh, the James Brown, the guy who his job was just to put the cape on James Brown. On yeah, Danny Ray. Bent down. Is that his name, Danny Ray? Yeah, so yeah. Danny Ray. I, I was, um, I became, it was, uh, he had two, uh, two drummers towards the end of his, uh, end of his life, James. He had, uh, Mr. Brown. He had, um, Robert Mousy Thompson, 
and mm-hmm. Eric Hargrove. Yep. Those killer, killer drummers. And um, we used to go, I saw James Brown about 14, 15 times. Um, nice. Me and my friends used to go from school. And then when I went to university, we'd get in a car and we'd travel to go and see James Brown. Always went to go and see James Brown wherever, wherever, uh, wherever I could. And as a result of being a 14, 15 year old kid, you know, you'd hang out and I was playing the drums and I'd speak to, say, to Robert or, or to Eric, like, oh man, you know, what are you doing here? And oh, how do you get that swing kind of thing? And they were so nice. And we became really good friends. And because I always went to go and see him, I was like, well, look, I live in London. I could show you around town. And we can go and hang out, take you to a drum store or two. And then we just became really good. So whenever whenever they were in town, we, we would hang out. And, um, you know, we used to go to back to the hotel with, with, with the guys and chat and all the rest of it with the rest of the band. And Holly is trumpet player, is MD, and Jeff Watkin and sax player, and Danny Ray. And Danny Ray had been with James since day dot. And uh, I was telling him about how there was a, the government had just changed entertainment law over here. So you had to have a license to be able to play in a bar. Well, the bar had to have a license in order to be able to have live music. Hmm. And he was a little bit drunk and he was like, man, I'll be down there with my bass drum outside their house. I find out where that politician live. I'll be boom, <laughs> boom, boom, boom every hour of the day <laughs> till I find out about how, forgive my awful Danny Ray impression, but he was such a character. He's more than just a cape man. Like right. he used to make sure that the band's stuff was on, that everybody was, you know, he, he was, yeah, killer, yeah. killer guy. Man. And he just passed away recently. He did, yeah. Yeah, in he February. Did very, very, very sadly, yeah. Um, I remember like, I was big into James Brown. Like one of the very early rabbit holes I went down was James Brown. I got, I yeah. got a chance to meet him, which is a brilliant story. Oh um, man, I got to hear he, the story. I'm a huge James Brown guy. Well, okay, I'll tell I'll tell you the story how I met him first. Uh, and I, I we were in the it was the Albert Hall, and I was hanging out with Eric, and um, he was like, "Yeah, man, come back to catering." You know, we, we, they did the sound check and went back to catering. I was sat there, and the Albert Hall is a big circular venue. Let's Google a picture of it. It looks like a big canister, and the mm-hmm. backstage is basically the back wall of the Albert Hall goes all the way around in a big circle but half a right. semicircle so that the backstage is half and it's just one big corridor that goes around the building like this and the catering's at one end and the entrance to where James Brown was going downstairs into his dressing room was at the other and we were sat in catering and I heard I was like that's James Brown isn't it because I'd never <laughs> met him I'd seen him a billion times and I was like man I'd, you know it'd be cool to go and meet him and Eric was like man you know he's doing a meet and greet for 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 the disabled children's hospital kind of thing and um, I don't know I, I, I can't have anything to do with it it's more than my job's worth James Brown right. legitimately used to find people I mean you know all those stories and they're all true um, and he was like it's more than my job's worth man I was like oh, okay guys look just don't tell him you're with us just join the back of the queue nobody will know so I, I like <gasps> had my little bag I took my little bag around the corridor to meet him and he, he'd finished the meet and greet I was like, oh, no, I missed him. And I went up to this huge security guy. You know, like some security <laughs> guys are genu- genuinely like, oh, I wouldn't mess with him. And then some are like, you know, he probably isn't all that handy, but he has built like a barn door. You know, yeah. just like this huge, excuse me, sir, can I speak? To, you know, like huge, massive guy. Can I speak to Mr. Brown? He, was, he sort of looked around. It's like, uh, Mr. Brown, you, there's a kid here who wants to speak to you. <laughs> and I opened my mouth to say like, you know, I've seen you a lot and, you know, just want you to know I really dig dig everything you've done and you've done for the music world. Blah, 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 blah. And I opened my mouth and went, 
and he went, son, my problem is I got too many hits. I never know what I'm going to play. Now stand where you are. <laughs> I stood there like this and he put his arm around me and somebody took a photo and then he left. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't say a word to James Brown to the point. <laughs> so I've got that photo. I got that photo from the woman. I still have her card at my parents' house. Um, I got that photo from that woman and it's at my parents' house going up the stairs and uh-huh. uh, their thing. And it's of me going, <laughs> and James Brown going, like this. It was the best, it was the most rock and roll meet I've ever had. It could have been like, oh, Mr. Brown, you know, I love your music. Oh, thanks very much, son. It's very kind of you to say so. No, <laughs> no. My only problem is I got too many hits. I never know what I'm going to play. Now stand where you are. <laughs> it was so cool. It was very, very cool. Oh, which I so, thought was quite good. Yeah. I, I, I gotta see, I gotta see a copy of this picture. Oh, I get your picture. It's ridiculous. Oh it's my me god! Me like a rabbit, a rabbit in the headlights. Okay. That's know, amazing. Like, yeah. That's, that's absolutely cool. amazing. But he was, he was, yeah, very, very complicated character. But again, the, 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 the not only his music, but the sidemen that have been with him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Robert Thompson and Eric Hargrove. Clyde, uh, the obvious ones, Clyde Stubblefield, yeah. you know, um, Jabo Starks, uh, yep. all those guys, you know, like they, they, the, 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 the funky drummer stuff and more, moreover the vibe and, and that, that birth, so many people. And I keep harping on about Ringo and love the Beatles or hate them, love Ringo or hate them. You think whatever you like about him, no judgment. That's cool. But all of my heroes, everybody that I look up to, all of my favorite drummers are playing the drums because in 1964 they sat down and they were watching the Ed Sullivan show and they were like the same way I did they went mum yep. I want to do that can yeah. I get a can I get a drum kit Greg yeah it, one of my absolute all-time heroes and, and, and favorite drummers um, that, that, cha- that obviously changed his life it and changed so many people's that. lives like Vinny and Weckle and all yep. those guys you know it's all very well good that they're into I asked Steve Jordan about that too. It was like, what was it about that performance? Yeah. Because what he says he the say? same thing. Yeah. He was just like, it was, it was revolutionary. He was like, it was just like catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And they, I mean, they were like the biggest thing. There was all this, all this hype about them and they came on and they slayed it and everyone wanted to be, and Ringo was playing match grip not yeah. he wasn't playing traditional so that was that was sort of like the beginning of everyone playing match grip in in mm. the states uh specifically and I, it was just it's just one of those things that you could never repeat again you know yeah it's like uh, the universe everything aligned and it was the right place for that to happen and it did i mean <laughs> so there's so many things about about that you know those those drummers ended up getting into buddy and all the rest of it and and max roach and elvin and they, they're tony williams specifically for Vinny. they became their favorite drummers but the genus of it the spark that started it all was ringo i mean watching yeah. that happen and being oh my god what am i watching this is incredible you know and yeah like steve steve jordan i mean <laughs> you know so it's, you, it's, you, you've heard the Steve Jordan, James Brown story about him coming to late to Letterman and everything. Or you've seen the video of him doing Letterman. And do you know, I've story? seen the video. I didn't know what the, there was a story behind it. So, so James Brown was supposed to do one song mm. and he started playing and he was digging it so much that they just played 
the rest of the night and canceled all the other guests that were supposed Good. to come on the show and it's just turned into a James Brown concert but that was the first that was like the first not only the first year but it was like the first three or four I forget what it was it was like the first one of the first five episodes and then Steve Jordan was like well where are we going to go from here like yeah we're, we're I'm playing this gig for who God knows how long he's like we just had the best night that we're ever going to have yeah where, where, where are we going to go from here yeah yeah <laughs> So Danny Danny Ray told me a story once about how um, how pivotal um, politically it's just societally that James Brown was as well, uh, in particular rela- relation to the tax stuff. I'm, I know that James Brown had some legal problems, you know, and he, he had some uh, substance problems as well in different parts of his life. But Danny Ray was telling me the story about the Philadelphia riots. It was just after Martin Luther King died. I think I'm going to mm-hmm. get. I think I've got that right. Um, and there were riots in Philadelphia. That's where I'm and from. James, actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So, so James Brown. There were, it were the streets were were covered with with um, black people, minority people rising up, and you know, like this is ridiculous. You know, sort of a, a Black Lives Matter thing, but way way back then, a, a real civil rights movement to, to to try and make change. And people were pissed. People have rightly really pissed that all this had happened. Mm-hmm. And James Brown said, "Put me on TV. I'll do a free concert. I think it was in Philadelphia. I'll do a free concert, televise it, and I'll guarantee you, everyone." will be at home watching it or they'll be at the gig watching it not causing any trouble and he was right huh. and there's famous youtube footage from this this video this uh, this concert a couple of people get up on stage and he was like look guys 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 people are watching we need to behave you know we need to act like real people act like proper citizens you know stop all this rubbish and j edgar hoover danny ray was telling me that j edgar hoover and the guys at the fbi saw this and thought if this guy's powerful enough to stop a riot He's sure as hell powerful enough to incite one. So I want you to find stuff on him and I want you to bury him. And I want you to I want you to make life really difficult for him. And that, Danny says, was the start of James Brown's problem. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's that's yeah. I never it, heard it was, that before. Yeah, he was like, you know, if if this guy was powerful enough to stand up in front of a and command a crowd, and what's more, a crowd of people at home watching and tell them what and what not to do then you know we need to watch this guy you need to find something on him and i mean wouldn't yeah. you want to try to leverage that and join forces with him and try to create I a would. bridge instead of instead of I've, you know yeah. it's a different time though different time it's a different time i think you rather know. than all that i just go yeah james you just keep playing i was gonna sit here and watch i mean that's, <laughs> that's what, what i would have done. done yeah <laughs> can we do this again tomorrow <laughs> yeah 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 oh, there's a riot down the street actually can you do another couple songs yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I have to look that up though. That's really I've never, never heard of that. Yeah. I I kind of remember hearing something about a, a James Brown concert, something, but maybe just in passing. But I'm gonna I want to uh, do some research on it. That's really yeah, interesting. I'm pretty sure it was after the death of Martin Luther King. Huh. That's amazing. And like uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton was there, and mm-hmm. huge political figures. It was. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty, wow. Pretty. I mean, he. You know, he could. Uh, he was arguably the biggest artist in the world for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, about getting, about getting gigs and you've landed some, some great gigs, uh, throughout the years. And 
what do you do you attribute a lot of it to obviously you're playing i i think that when when you look at anyone who's playing a higher profile gig they can obviously play right that's sort of like okay that's the that's yeah. the entry fee everyone has to be able to play so then how do you differentiate yourself or how how are you getting how do you land an edge here in gig versus someone else getting it or something like that is it relationships is it you know it it, it, it is relationships and it's not it's always a really tricky line um when talking about this stuff because it's obviously about playing but that should really be a given i mean there aren't people doing these gigs who who aren't great and if they if they if there are a couple they get found out and they don't end up doing them or or whatever you know there's a lot of politics involved whatever but it's right. a given that you have to be able to play so you're right what's the next step um being being known so when people get in touch on instagram invariably nowadays and say you know how do i i'm just getting started and i want to do these gigs and i want to do that invariably what i'll say is um well uh, who knows that you can play drums and they're like well you know i'm in a band and it's like cool great but go to go to gigs play like mine as i've as i've said ad nauseum it's it's i just played and when i started playing for a job as in like doing gigs and and stuff i just wanted to play i didn't care where it was i would turn up to the opening of an envelope and bring my drums and just play and you know oh can you do this gig it's only 25 pounds but you know it's in the thingy and you'd go and that bass player would be like oh actually you know what we've got we played really well together I need the drummer for next week uh, for my wedding band. Oh, okay, great. Okay, well, brilliant. I'll do that. And then you'd be on that wedding gig and everything. It'd be cool and it'd be good. You'd do your homework. You'd play well. Again, that's a given. Um, and there was a front of house man on that on that gig, you know, like a sound guy. And he'd go, uh, I'm, I'm, there's this new artist I'm doing monitors for and they're looking for a drummer. You should come down and, and see him. So you go down and see him and then you play with that artist and you support and you open up for a bigger artist and somebody from the record label who's on that support tour looking after the bigger artist goes, do you know what? We've just signed another artist. We need some drums for him. Okay, great. Do do you see what I mean? That specifically didn't happen, but that all came from the tiniest, not Ricky Lawson once said to to me, don't turn nothing down, but your collar. (laughs) And he was right. He was damn right. Because yeah. it's all very well and good being the best drummer in your bedroom. But if nobody knows you can play because you're not out there playing, then it's for nothing. It's for nothing. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's if that's what you want to do and you love playing in your bedroom, you are a weekend warrior, you're a hobbyist, then you do you. That's wicked. That's good. But if you want to do other stuff and you want, then the first step is being able to do it. The second step is having people know that you can do it right and making cold calls hi i got your number from johnny bag donuts and he says you need a drummer i mean when people phone me like that and they do you know oh, i'm a guitarist i just moved to town and i'm looking for some gigs i'm like cool there's a queue over there just join it and one day you'll get a gig <laughs> you know but if that same person came to a gig or you know rocked up and went oh man you know i'm looking for this can you do you have any advice? Be like, yeah, man, just play. And yeah. by accident, it, it happens by virtue of uh, qualitative 
polite persistence. You know, mm-hmm. being being at a gig and then being at the next gig and being at another gig and hanging. And I, I, there was a guy who a bass player who just got on a tour who's very young and they were looking for these particularly young musicians I was able to recommend him he's a great player and it worked out for him um, who said years ago like I want to play what do I do I'm like just get to know people but genuinely get to know people don't like oh, a friend on Facebook and hey hey walk in the club like yeah I know this guy yeah. and I know this guy it's like personal genuine yeah. yeah I mean I don't know it's, it's very different in the United Kingdom we're very uh we're very British about it all and that right. sort of stuff makes me like the, the idea of going to Nam. I went to Nam a couple of times and it was like, Hey man, here's my card. I was just like, oh, thanks very much. Cheers. Right. Yeah. No. It just, it just seems so schmaltzy and uh, disingenuous is the yeah. problem. But, so I mean, that happens here for hundred percent. Oh yeah. But, but no one likes it here either. So no, no but, one but I, likes the guy that's walking around passing out their card. And of it's course, like, of course. Like, but, Ugh. If, but if you go to a gig, I said to, I said exactly this to this bass player. Like, if you go to a gig and you genuinely like the drummer who's been, who you've been watching, you know, you're the bass player and you, you're watching the stage and it's like, oh man, this bass player's amazing. It's really, really cool. Rather than going, hmm, maybe he can get me a gig, just say, I'd like to play with this guy. So maybe you go up to him afterwards and go, look, I really loved your vibe and, you know, you sounded like this. It was great. It's really good. Do you want a drink? And they know if they're a musician, they'll probably go, yeah, sure. Right. Or, or whatever. Or you'll just start naturally having a conversation and maybe say, well, look, I've got a rehearsal room near me. How about it's on me. I'll pay for it. I'll hire the rehearsal room out for a couple hours and I'll bring my drums. You want to bring your bass and we'll just go and we'll jam. And they might say on your bike. No, I'm really busy. I'm not into that. They might say, yeah, man, cool. We sounds like we're into the same kind of stuff. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. You've made yourself a friend. You've made yourself a bass player friend that bass yeah. player might go on and do the next Janet Jackson tour and go you should use my friend he's a drummer he's great yeah but you've genuinely made a friend it's not bullshit it's not networking it's not dick waving you're genuinely trying to make connections with people you like there are plenty of people I don't like who I right. wouldn't go up to and go oh hey man let's hang out and and play in a rehearsal room or whatever because I'm just not into that and, and plus people can see through it yeah for sure. When somebody comes up to you and does all that stuff, you know, oh, hey, man, let's hang and let's do this. I'm like, yeah, cool. Well, give me a ring. Knowing full well, it's just chat and mm-hmm. there won't be a ring. Or if there is, I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, you know, let's do, come on down this weekend. We've got a thing, you know, and, and those people get weeded out. And yeah. At least in my circle, because there are loads of different circles. People do different things in different ways. Um, I, I've got a really great group of people that I work with a lot who are who I would go for a beer with, yeah. who are good people, good humans. And it's important to remember that, okay, so Ben, my friend, we, we, we've done lots of tours together. He's a bass player. We're on a rooming list. We, he sleeps above me when we sleep on tour buses. So he's only a couple of feet away even when I'm sleeping. He stands mm-hmm. next to me on the stage. We're really good buddies, so we spend every day off together. Uh, on the rooming list, alphabetically, our names are next to each other, so we'll <laughs> invariably be in hotel rooms that are next door to one another. We see each other for three months, 20 hours a day, there are thereabouts. Right. And even when we're asleep, we're sleeping a few feet away from one another <laughs> on the other side of a wall or the other side of a bunk. Now, he could be Jaco Pastoris II, the best bass player in the world. But if he was an asshole. 
I wouldn't want to be around him. Right. And that's that's that. the. I mean, that's, that's the, literally that. And that's why I think that you know, or I know that's why those people get weeded out too, because you're, yeah. you know, you start to meet people and you're like, either this guy's an asshole or he's disingenuous and he's just talking a big game and and uh, you know, like you said, they're not going to call me or they don't have as much going on as they say they do. Or, I mean, what I used to do, because uh, drummers, I feel like uh, we're always waiting sorry. for the phone to ring. Just, just to pick that, that point, you s- just hit the nail on the head. They're not as busy as they say they are. Like, yeah. since when was it a crime not to be busy? No, I mean, when I, I mean, but like, people do it. But people do it. They generally go, yeah, man, I've got this and that and this and that. When I'm right. not busy, I, it's really helped me in the past to go, oh, how you doing, man? You busy? And I've said, actually, no, it's really quiet. And then somebody's yeah. gone, well, you know what? He's looking for a drummer. Because as soon as all that dick waving starts, yeah, man, I'm the busiest guy in town. I got a gig, I yeah. got a gig. You know, people are going to go, no, you won't want this. He's busy. Yeah. It's like that's they, true. they shoot themselves in the foot, you know. And you hear that I'm a lot. Oh, I didn't, I didn't call. Uh, so why didn't you call me? Well, I always, th- I thought you were busy. You're always, yeah. you're always yeah. so busy. Or And sometimes or when you, you call people, are. sometimes you are. I, d- I don't like when I talk to people and I'm like, hey, man, how are you? And they go, busy, busy. I'm really busy. Like, I didn't ask what you're doing. I asked how yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Good you for know, you. How are you? You know. Yeah. Um, but, but for drummers, I feel like we're always waiting for the phone to ring. And so I would always try, if I saw a bass player or a guitar player or something that I really liked, it, I would go out, you know, talk to him after the gig or whatever and just get their number and be like, hey, man, I'd, you know, I'm not, I don't have anything right now, but like if something comes up, I'd love to hire you for something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you call them and it's like, hey, remember me? I met you at the gig and then you hire them and you start working with them. Next thing you know, they're like, man, this guy keeps giving me a lot of gigs. Now there's an opening in my band for a drummer. We should get that guy. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, I mean, it's, you, it's, you know how it works. Yeah. It's not, that's not, and that's not um, disingenuous. That's because you no. have a relationship with that person. Right. And you genuinely need, like you were saying, like you call him to do gigs for you or, or whatever, or give him work. Not because you're looking to get anything out of it, but because that is your product. Mm-hmm. If you are putting this person who is substandard in on gigs, then that reflects poorly on you. Sure. And, and the, but what, why have we got this guy in? Oh, well, <laughs> you know, Nick said we should use this guy and he's a bit of a dick, you know. So it reflects badly on you. So you're doing it for your product a byproduct of you doing a good job is benefit in kind is, yeah. is them perhaps going on to something or people going, you know what? He helped us out with that. We should use him because a, he's great. B is a cool guy. Yeah. And that's it. The amount it goes of time, a long way. my set, the second big, the second like big commercial gig that I got, I ever got was to replace one of my favorite drummers at the time. I grew up, I, again, sneaking into jazz clubs at 14, 15 years old to watch mm-hmm. this guy play with a pop artist. And um, he, I, 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 I met that, I, I knew the music director, but I actually knew the music director's sister. And we were out on a bar, in a bar, and I was like, I knew that, I knew what, what her brother did. And uh, I was like, oh, so you're doing this thing, you know? It's like, man, I'm not going to say his name, but this guy is. Is is in that man? I used to I used to sneak in sneak into clubs to watch him play. He's killer. And David, the guy who was the MD, was like, "Yeah, but we're we're thinking of making a change." I was like, "But but what? You know, he's the best. Oh, oh, like, he's he's killer. Are you serious? Like, you know?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to do auditions next week. I think. I mean, you're around. You're welcome to come down. It's on Friday." I'm like, 
why are you getting rid he's so good I went down and me being me I over prepared I did so much mm-hmm. homework and I knew you know I'd known this MD as well because we'd had drinks together we knew my sister so he could vouch for the fact I wasn't going to be a pain in the ass um, and and I ended up getting the gig and I it ne- I never stopped thinking about you know why did they get rid of, of this guy like kill a player one of my favourite drummers um, in, in London and about three or four gigs in I was just like Please stop me if I'm talking out of turn. I just need to, like, I've listened back to the tapes, you know, that I've had to learn this stuff from. He was doing a great job. He was absolutely killer. And, you know, I've seen him play. Did you see him play with blah, 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 blah? And they're like, yeah, man, it was a good gig. I was like, so why am I here? Like, I can't do any <laughs> of that stuff. Like, I'm nothing, you know. And they're like, oh, man. If, if there was something, anything, it would be a problem. You know, uh, oh, have we got have we got sandwiches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's sandwiches. They're in the dressing room. Oh man, these sandwiches got cucumber in. Oh, can't eat. Okay. What time's the bus leaving tomorrow morning? Uh, Ten o'clock. Ten o'clock. Oh, well, why don't we leave at twelve o'clock? Because you know, I want an extra two hours in bed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Sure. You know. Uh, oh, can we turn the aircon in? It's really cold in here. And it just if any there was ever a problem, if there was ever the possibility of there being a problem, he'd make one. He was a pain in the ass. I so, cannot stand people like that. So for an hour and 15 minutes a day, he was the hottest shit. He was the best drummer for that gig. And for 22 and three quarter hours a day, he was a pain in the ass. And that's just sheer maths, economics of, num- you know, the numbers don't <laughs> stack up. It's like, right, we got to put up with this guy. It's really awful. You know, we get an hour and 15 minutes of peace a day and the rest yeah. of the day is torture. That's no contest. There are a lot yep. of very good drummers who can do that job. It came down mm-hmm. to the fact that they wanted somebody who wasn't that character, that personality. Um, yeah. And, and, that, and that, that, that's a really valuable lesson that I learned, thankfully, fairly early on. It was like, if he can get replaced, I sure as hell get replaced because I'm nothing on him. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just... Again, going back to what you said, it's a given. You have to be able to do the job. You have to be of a standard where you can do the job with your eyes closed. Right. Then the other stuff creeps into play. Are they a decent hang? Do they have good personal hygiene? Uh, are they, do they turn up on time? Does their gear sound good? You know, all of this other stuff is, is almost as important as the product, which is yeah. it's part of your product. Uh, yeah, as almost as important as part of the product that the that the public see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know, this guy's great. Yeah, but he's a dick, and that guy, that other guy's great too, and he's really cool. Yeah. So, and and a lot of the time, you know, it's it's <clears throat> you're, you're hiring a guitarist for your band, right? And you play in a metal band, and there are two guitarists, both perfectly in a, in a parallel universe. They're exactly the same person, exactly the same person. This guy is into all the music you're into and turns up on time. This guy's wearing a suit and tie to the audition to your rock band and, you know, sat there picking his nose and turned up 20 minutes late. And But they're both equally as good. Who are you giving the gig to? Right. No question. It's no, it's no contest. Yeah. It's no contest. So when you have the ability to be able to put any element in your favor, do it. 
Same yeah. as a shop. It's you. You are a. It's a blue collar job. You are a freelance musician. At least I am. You know, it's if you're if you're a shop. If you've got a dry cleaners and the dry cleaners at this end of the street is great. And the dry cleaners at this end of the street is great. But this one gives out free coffee and candy while you wait. Where are you going to take your business? <laughs> yeah. It's all the tiny little bits you can give yourself, that the leg ups you can give yourself to make yourself more saleable, mm-hmm. which is really what it is. It's the business. It's the music business. Yeah. You know, being nice is a big overlooked part of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And like you said, you have to be you have to be saleable. It's you're a product, and as as shallow as that sounds, uh, yeah. But it's not at the at the end of the day. It's like you have to you have to sell yourself, and and not in a sleazy way, in a genuine way. But like, put out a good product, and and you'll get hired. Like I I I think Rich, uh, well, it was Rich Redmond said it. It's like, and he and I were talking about it. Like, if you're a freelance musician, you own your own business, and the point mm-hmm. of any business is to get repeat customers. And the way that you yeah. do that is, you know, you do a good job, show up on time, do your homework, you know, all of these other things so that people call you and hire you again. That's the most flattering thing is, is when uh, producers specifically say, Oh, Hey, you're around for this. And you're like, yeah, I am. I can make myself available for that because they liked what you did so much last time that they want you again. Yep. There's always a little pang when, when, when you do, when you do another, when, or when you do a gig for somebody and then, they do another gig and you find out that you know there's somebody else playing it well it might be different stylistically it might not have been right or you know this or that or oh well actually this one's a metal thing and i'm that's not my forte um but you want to get hired back you want that person to go it went so well last time and it was so easy i want the same experience again further down the line with a different artist so they've called you back that's so flattering is getting a call back and, and knowing that you did it's almost like a compliment slip it's like mm-hmm. uh it's like a, a trip advisor review if you like it was like <laughs> so good we used him again yeah do you know what i mean that's yeah. that's that's our equivalent of that of that review stuff you know yeah i think one better is when <clears throat> they ask you to sub for someone and then they come back and say hey we just want to continue to use you all the time yeah yeah that's a good it's, that's a good yeah. i always feel guilty when that happens but uh but hey yeah it's not it's not it's part of the if business. you're going and then snaking the gig that's unacceptable pretty much but yeah. if if they genuinely like your product you know if you start eating a different brand of cream cake because you prefer that one to the old one then buy that new cream cake yeah you know that's yeah. that's it that's the market what was uh what was your first like big gig um it was with i guess a, a band called girls allowed who were just mm-hmm. um so it came from one of the very early talent shows before American Idol over here. We gotcha. had something called Pop Star uh, or Pop 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 Right Pop Star the Rivals or something. Um and it was it was they'd done the solo thing and they'd made mm-hmm. a couple of stars out of that. And um now they wanted to do a group thing. And I was playing back in one of the groups. And gotcha. um yeah, it was that was that was really my first my first thing of any notoriety, my first TV gig, which I mean, it means nothing, you know, it's, it's what I call grandma points. You know, you ring up grandma. <laughs> hey, let everybody yeah. know at your bingo club that I'm going to be on TV this week. Oh, hey, everybody, yeah. my grandson's on the TV, you know, one of them. <laughs> it really means nothing, you know, Yeah, just, just it's, it, but that was the, my first sort of gig of notoriety, you know, in terms of profile, if you like, I suppose. Gotcha. Um, one of those girl bands. Yeah. So what do you have on the, on the docket now? 
Um, so I've been with Ed uh, Sheeran uh, for about ten and a half years. He yeah. very infrequently uses a band to tour with, um, at least. But in a lot of the promo, you know, you've got three minutes, 30 seconds to play the song like it sounds on the album so that the punters can go out and buy it because that's what mm-hmm. it sounds like. Uh, so for all the promo and press, he's he's used us over the last sort of 10, 11 years. There's, he just did the VMAs um, and some stuff over in the States, which um, because of all this COVID things, we've not been able to get visas and it's been really tricky. So ah. he's had to use some guys over there, which is um, which has been, you know, it just is what it is. It's the bizarre situation the world finds itself in. When you but were saying really he, it's, you were saying he normally doesn't tour with a band. So when he when he tours, I don't know if you've ever seen him do his stuff with his loop pedal. I have, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what he's done. That's what he's done traditionally on the road. So he'll gotcha. um, he'll you know play a beat on his guitar and loop it, and then beatbox, mm-hmm. and then loop it, and then play some chords, and then loop it, and then do some BVs and then loop it. And then he brings it in and out in each part of the song and then yep. plays it. And that's genuinely how he's generally how he's done his touring. Um, and it's staggering. I don't think there's anybody that could do it like him. He's, it's, he's pretty it's pretty amazing. There like, was a guy here. Um, you ever heard of Keller Williams? Yes. Yeah. There was, so Keller Williams used to do a lot of that stuff back in the day. And yeah. it reminds me of it. I feel like Ed is at a different level with it, but uh, yeah, but, I thought Keller was really good with it. I mean, it's come on, it's just come on leaps and bounds in terms of the technology and what you're able to do yeah. with it, all the rest of it now. Um, but that's traditionally how he's done his touring. So it's been a solo enterprise as such. And we've done, you know, live lounges and uh, all the promo. So a new single would come out and he'd do all the TVs with a band and we'd go t- into Europe and, and um, do their breakfast shows and big talk shows and all the rest of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it would come to the actual touring part in arenas and stadiums, and he'd do that on his own. Huh. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but but so Ed Ed has a new uh, album out very shortly next month, um, and uh, yeah, his uh, his song "Bad Habits" has been number one for like eleven weeks over here. So um, crazy. And it looks like his new single came out this week, so it looks like he's going to knock himself off the top spot. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, it, he, he's uh, he's there's a lot of promo in it because um, it's a new product and he needs the world to know about it. So yeah, there's some bits and pieces with him. Nice. Um, there's a, a new film about um, that Kristen Stewart is in called Spencer. Uh, I've done some bits on that um, and some bits uh, on uh, some TV shows over here. Uh, sorting out bands and doing the the backing tracks and things for the for the artists that go on. Uh, and there's a there's a show uh, that uh, the ABBA guys, um, the Swedish ABBA guys, have uh, got in London, and that's coming mm-hmm. back. That's still, so we're in rehearsals for that in the daytime at the moment. Um, yeah, so it's it's um, it, it's it's given how me and all my friends and colleagues and and and, and uh, um, friends around the world have just been decimated in the last eighteen months by yeah the the you know COVID thing the new mm-hmm. C word um, yeah it's uh, it's yeah it's it's nice to be nice to be back working and, and it's nice to see that people are uh, being employed again. Um, 
Analog sound for a digital world is finally here. Sonar has transformed the original sonar sound look and feel of the 50s, 60s, and 70s drums into a contemporary concept called the Sonar Vintage Series. Complete with an updated teardrop lug design, round bearing edges for warm, deep, low-end tone, a reissue of the classic iron-shaped bass drum bracket, and exciting finishes, the Sonar Vintage Series is the obvious choice for anyone who has one eye on the past and one eye on the future. For more information, visit sonar.com. Get ready for the new Promark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with ProMatch. Only ProMatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, Promark shows its commitment to the environment with Play, Plant, Preserve. Promark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play Promark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. Once we started getting into COVID, I was like, a couple of things are going to happen. One, there's going to be a lot of pent up energy to go out and see live music, which yeah. there there was and there is. And and I always joke that I was like, I'll during COVID, I was like, I'll pay a ridiculous amount of money to go see a ridiculously bad band right now. Yeah. You know, like just I just want to see live music. <clears throat> but the other thing is, I think that a lot of people started reevaluating, you know, whether they wanted to continue playing music or whether they wanted to. Oh, yeah you know, change careers or move to a different city or, or, or get divorced or, you know, there was, there was a lot of things that I think made people realize, okay, I was sort of stuck in this, in this rat race, whatever that rat race was for you. Mm. And now that everyone had a moment to breathe and sort of sit back and reevaluate, I think that, I think a lot of people are going to come out of it, maybe not happier, but maybe just a little bit more clarity. I, I completely, completely understand. And there, there have been, there, there's been quite a few friends of mine who I try not to do social media because it's, uh, it gets a little bit poisonous after a while. But yeah, um, there, there, there were some people halfway through the pandemic, and I know that the United States wasn't locked down in the same way that some parts of Europe were. We, we literally, there was one period um, very early on, March 2020, so March last year, we were told. You, you can leave the house for one hour a day for compo- for, for exercise. Mm-hmm. So 23 hours a day, you have to stay in your house. Um, and during that period, there were a few people that were putting things up, you know, like, oh man, giving it up, jacking it all in, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And yeah, okay, well, just wait. You know, when it all comes back, you'll be, you know, you'll be... Uh, and one, one friend of mine in particular, Nick, put up, uh, oh man, you know, I've, I've just had enough. I was like, well, that sounds rough. You know, he, he sounds like he's in a bad place. I'm going to call him, just check he's okay. Right. So I called him and was like, hey, man, how you doing? He was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. How's, how's wife and kids and all the rest of it? Yeah, they're good. Yeah, good. Oh, okay. So you, you, you're all right. He was like, yeah. I was just, it's just that message you put. It sounded like you were in a bad place. And he goes, nah, I just, 
I've had a great life in music. You know, I've done tours and been around the world and seen great things. And um, and I'm working working a working for my brother's insurance company. Uh, in lockdown, and I get a company car. I get holiday pay. I get paid every Friday. I know how much money I'm going to get, and it hits my bank. And um, I get holidays. I, I know my wife knows when I'm going to come home of an evening. I get to put my kids to bed. So I actually don't mind it. I'm not like, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool. Well, that's, that's, that's okay. You know, but yeah. you wait when music comes back, you know, you're going to be, you're going to regret saying this. And ha ha ha, agreed to meet for a drink, blah, blah, blah. And then three weeks later, I was thinking, yeah, he was, he was kidding about that. And he put all his guitars up. He put like six guitars, four amps, with a billion pedals and Helix and Kempers and all the rest of it. And, it literally cashed his chips and left wow. the music world and 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 that's sat, like three or four people i know have done that huh. um so i think it's i think it's somewhat thinned the herd um mm-hmm. the people that had one foot in it initially and were like you know i've been thinking about getting this or i've had something on the side for a while that forced their hand and they've been you know unapologetically rightly so for them um, right i'm out and, and they've left you know yeah huh. and I, I completely understandable because everybody's dealing with it in different ways and yeah, yeah and i, I also think things. that sometimes we put this unfair <clears throat> pressure on ourselves about identity and and just mm. you know if if you if you get out of the industry or or you stop playing or you go and do something else then it's like well, who am i then you know like everyone Every I, I'm in the I'm a drummer. I work in the music business, and all my yeah. friends know that I work in the music business. And yeah. and what happens if I decide to get out of it? Are are my friends going to think that I I couldn't ha- you know I couldn't hack it or or yeah. or I wasn't good you know, enough? I wasn't yeah. good enough or or yeah. whatever. And plus, like I've been doing this since I was 15, and now I'm done. You know who am I now? I think I think yeah. we and maybe maybe I'm projecting some of that because you know I've I've definitely had those uh, those thoughts myself. But I wonder well, you, you wouldn't be human if you didn't have those thoughts. I had those thoughts. Right. I right. I was working on a lifeboat for 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 the lockdown thing because it's the only way I could get out of the house. I volunteered mm-hmm. as a, on a lifeboat um, on on the Thames for a couple of years and or for a few years. And at the beginning of lockdown, I was in the station and Andy. One of the guys, fantastic, fantastic guy. Uh, I was just like, there's no, that's all my gigs gone. I don't know what I'm going to do just in the day. And he was like, well, come here, you know, hang here. And effectively, I was doing it like four days a week sometimes, you know. And it, it goes through your mind. It's like, wow, when people find out I've got another job. Um, and you think that about yourself. And then I immediately thought, if somebody came to me and said, I've had to, I've had to get a job as an Amazon delivery driver to support my wife and kids during lockdown, how, what would you say, Mark? And I'd go, great. You're doing it's the smart. right thing. Yeah. You're supporting. You're smart. You'd be an idiot sitting there counting your woes. You know, right. you're doing the right thing. You're providing for your family and you're stopping yourself from going crazy furthermore. Yeah. So I wouldn't, there's no way I'd judge them. And I'd be outraged if I heard people go, <laughs> you heard about this guy? He's driving a delivery van. What? Screw you. You know, like, yeah. So they're probably thinking the same thing. You know, you just do what you've got to do to get by and and it's your business. And that's all, yeah. you know, a zero jump. Why would you ever put somebody down for that? Everybody dealt with it in different ways. And it mm-hmm. was, it was um, 
was weird. It was really, really weird. There were moments where people thought, well, the music industry just won't come back. And then other people were like, well, it will come back, but it's going to be completely different, you know? Right. And as it turns out, it's come back and it's mostly exactly the same. Mm-hmm. The gigs are mostly exactly the same for the yeah. most part. And it's, sure. all, it's only going to be a matter of time, I think, before the things that are slightly different are just going to go back to what they were. Right. It's right. like the river, the river channels the easiest path, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it, it's this way for a reason because it's the easiest and it's, and it won't be too long before it goes back to that. Yeah. I, I know one of the, one of the conversations that I, that I had multiple times with people was it's not just you who's not working. No yeah, one's working. That's it. It's that's not it. like your phone's not ringing. No one's phone is ringing. Yeah. So don't, you know, don't feel bad that you're not, you haven't played a gig in nine months because no one's played a gig in nine months. That's exactly right. Steve Gadd hasn't played a gig in nine months. Yeah. You know, Steve Gadd's not out on tour with James Taylor, you know. James Taylor's right. not out on tour with Steve Gadd. Nobody's <laughs> right. out on tour, right? It's right. just not happening. And yeah. it's, um, it's important. It was important to remember that. Absolutely for sure. That's a great point. And, and also like putting pressure on yourself. The amount of, again, no, zero judgment. You do what you need to do to survive. But the amount of people who I've spoken to over the years were like, oh man, I, I can't teach. I would never be a teacher. I, I don't, I, I would be rubbish at it. And then we're like, hey guys, great news. My online teaching studio is up and running. And you were like, huh, good for <laughs> yeah. you. You need to do it. And that's great. You've got bills to pay. Good for you. Yeah. Um, so you just, you just did what you needed to do to make it work, you know? Yep. <laughs> and that's that that's all she wrote and now it's slowly starting to come back there's the hope that you know maybe maybe everybody maybe there's space for everybody to come back and mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah. be a part of it again i hope yeah i think there's room for everyone you can find where you where you fit and and uh make yeah. it work for yourself so and that's and that's like that's not to be preachy about it but if if you want it enough you'll you'll do it I mean, yeah. if you want to play music for a living, you'll do it until there's no, you'll just, you'll, it'll happen mm-hmm. by, by virtue of you wanting it enough. Like yeah. the amount of times that I've gone, do you know what? I'd love to learn Spanish. I'd love to be fluent in Spanish. I'd really, really love to be able to speak Spanish. And I start, I go on an app like Duolingo or whatever. And I, I learn a bit. Donde están los baños, por favor? You know, and you and you and, and I. Speak Is that Pigeon the where's Spanish. the bathroom, please? That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So I speak uh, Italian, so they sort of sound similar. Che ora sono? Che ora sono? Right. Yeah. What time, what time is, it is it? Right. Yeah. So I, I dip in and all this stuff, and I and I beat myself up and think, you know, oh, I'd really love to learn Spanish, but do you know what? If I wanted it enough, I'd take a week off and just buy a book and just study it, and I'd do it. So maybe I don't want it enough. And it's kind of, I know that life gets in the way, but if you want something, just, just, you've just got to, you've just got to do it. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not good enough. Well then practice. Oh, well, I don't know the right people. Well then go out until you meet the right people. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I I can't do this because I don't have the gig. Do it. Just get a second job and buy the gear or, or borrow it or rent it. Or I don't know. It's just like, and maybe I'm saying that because because that's coming from a position of being able to do it. But somebody's got to do these gigs, right? Somebody has yeah. to do them. And it's yeah. going to be you if you want it enough or you put the work in enough or, you know, I want to be able to play like Thomas Lang. Well, hmm? oh, I want to be able to play like Vinny. Vinny. Vinny plays for eight hours a day. 
right. for for his whole childhood and still is a is an incredible practice uh, practice fiend mm-hmm. and obviously there's some talent there he's got the he's got the propensity to want to spend eight hours in a room getting better it's like and you tot up the hours that Vinny spent behind a kit and then tot out the hours you've spent behind a kit they're not yeah. close they're not yeah. close well, everyone, you know, it's interesting. I remember watching a video of Benny Greb years ago, and he had this like lockout in Germany, and he gets in this freight elevator and goes up and goes into this room, and his drums are set up. And I'm like, holy shit! Like, I would love to have that. Like, I would if I had that thing, I would be practicing eight hours. That's amazing. And then I moved to New York City and had one of those places just yeah. for myself. Did not spend eight hours a day in there practicing. And it made me think, is Benny Greb practicing is Benny Greb practicing eight hours a day because he's Benny Greb? Or is he practicing eight hours or you know, like did is he is he did he become Benny Greb because he practiced eight hours a day? Or does he get to practice eight hours a day because he's Benny Greb? And it's like it's the it's the former. And there's there's and there's a trade-off, you know, like Vinny's been Vinny's just an arbitrary figure I'm picking out of the out of the ether because he's right. renowned for having staggering ability and technique, etc. But drummer A spends this amount of time practicing, not because drummer A is trying to get this gig or this gig or whatever. It's because that's what they want to do. And the byproduct of, of their work and their personality, their for me, the obsession, you know, I was saying about you know, I, I go into something like excuse the phrase, balls deep. Uh-huh. I really want to do it. It's the byproduct of that is, is the work. And that's yeah. cool. But it's, it's also a path. It's, it's pretty freeing to realize. It's pretty liberating to realize that, well, actually, the, the old Malcolm Gladwell thing, the outliers thing, the 10,000 hours thing. We were talking about the Beatles earlier. And Malcolm Gladwell in, his, in one of the chapters in his book says, the reason the Beatles were so good on that Ed Sullivan show is because they'd been playing a club in Germany for months and they had been paying their dues. They mm-hmm. had been playing as a band three, six hours a day, two, three hour sets. So by the time they came to get that break, that national exposure, they they'd 20,000 hours, far beyond yeah. what's needed to be pro and slick, you know, mm-hmm. and it's no accident. It's yep. like, Thomas, I remember sitting and um, Greg took me to dinner once with uh, uh, Terry Bozio. It was a drum festival, I forget the name of it. Um, Terry Bozio and Thomas Lang. And um, Terry and Thomas were talking about Frank Zappa. And um, Thomas once said, uh, Terry said, um, oh, you know, like they were talking about guitarists and how they turned their back to the audience. Like, oh, no, you're not going to see my licks. And it's it's... And, and Thomas said something that really struck me and is absolutely true. It's like, I don't understand that. Like, anybody wants to know what I'm doing, I'll tell them. Hell, I'll write it out for them. If they want to video me doing it, I'll go right hand, left hand, foot, foot, okay? Or whatever. Right foot, yeah. left foot. Um, that's, that's, it's not, that's not, you know, there are seven notes and they're sharps and flats. You know, th- nobody's reinventing the wheel here. It's easy <laughs> right. for you to it's easy, easy for you to know what I'm playing. The next step is you sodding off to a practice room and putting the time in to make that work, which yep. people just don't you know people don't want to do or they'll do and they'll 
knee included i've got a couple of you know licks to end songs or whatever but i'm not the kind of guy who's going to look at one of those licks and i know what it is it's either your right hand or it's your left hand or it's your right foot or your left foot that's it it's binary maybe some of them play together sometimes it's not rocket science right hand right foot together both hands together right <laughs> my 90 year old grandmother could play that there's no i'm not yep. opening up a door and revealing a secret if she wants to put the practice in my nan could play that really damn well in a couple of years like yeah. get gigs you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it's no secret the next step is how far are you prepared to go you know it's the yeah. untouchables thing it's do you remember that have you seen the untouchables the movie with sean connery's in it and i know um, the movie i've never seen it there's a, there's a scene just as Sean, Con Sean Connery gets shot and dies. Spoiler alert. And um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's one bit where they're breaking down. They're, they're going after Al Capone. And mm -hmm. right across the street from the police station is where he's bottling all this bootlegged liquor. And, uh, and Elliot Ness looks at him and goes, wait a minute, we're right across from the police station. And Sean Connery's character says something like, everybody knows what to do. It's, this isn't a secret that this happens. But what are right. you prepared to do? You know, what are you yeah. prepared to do about it? It's like the lick goes like this. Now, you can get that under your hands or you can spend eight hours a day for a week with different applications, different sound sources, different stickings, um, different types of music, different degrees of swing, different phrasing, different entry and exit points that's getting something under your belt and that's going the extra mile and that's where the difference between these uber players is and somebody that goes yeah i can do it yeah yeah it's it's not a secret i agree it's not a magic formula it's not a door that gets opened everyone wants the between... the thing everyone yeah. wants the th like what is it like what's the secret what's the whatever and it's like here's the secret go sit in a practice room for and i'm i'm just as guilty of it too like too. i look at other players and i'm like damn yeah. how, like how did these guys get so good oh they practiced oh yeah that's right i remember you going know? to see vinnie the um vinnie with jeff beck at, in the uh royal festival hall with um one of my friends who worked at zildjian she was like oh what are you doing tonight i was like nothing she goes i got a spare ticket i'm gonna go see vinnie you want to come and nice. because she worked at zildjian she had um we we, we hung with vinnie afterwards and there were these people coming up to him, you know, like we were talking earlier on about fanboys and some of these people were genuinely, you know, I knew some of them and, or, or had recognized some of them at least. And, um, you know, people just coming up going, oh, Vinny, you know, that's so good. You know, at the end of uh, song three, you went at the end of the song. What was that? And super polite, really lovely. Then he went, oh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I've got a bunch of combinations that I use. It might have been right hand left foot left hand right foot the ladder kind of thing but thank you so much for your question thank you i'm just spending some time with my friends thank you so much really appreciate it thank you and then he'd carry on talking to us and after right. like the third guy came up he, he was super patient super polite but a little bit like oh. it's it's like it's a mystery it's not right. a mystery it's right foot left foot it's just what do you want just go and <laughs> practice it you know like yeah and there's sometimes, you know, I, I think people are looking for these gatekeepers, somebody to go, you can do this now. Yeah. You've got it. I've yeah. just, that's it. Now, now you've got it. Now you've got, but it's not, it's, it's, 
The books. The books. I mean, I, I, so I've gone, I've gone out and got, I've just had a clean out. You guys can't, you can't see what's going on, but, but Mark just got up from his, from, uh, from where he was sitting and went and picked up a stack of books. <laughs> what's up? Eight, nine, new breed two, ten. 11, 12, 30, 40, 50. There are like 25 books here. All, <laughs> right. of, all drum books that I've gone through at some stage and, and you know, learned or whatever. Um, and, and now they're, they're sat gathering dust and I'm like, I'm going to give these away. Anybody who wants these books, they can, they're, they're free to have them. Yeah. Any one of those books is a lifetime of study. This, this mm-hmm. one, this first one, this Mel Bay, Afro-Cuban concept, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a CD in it. I've been through the book, cursory glance at most of it, picked out some really interesting stuff, used some of the backing tracks for things, and it's great. It's fantastic. But it's all in there. Everything is literally at your disposal. There is no excuse. Oh, I wish I could play like that. Well, then fucking practice, mate. Yeah. You know, buy the book and practice, or don't buy the book, just practice. Play along with the records. You know, whatever. I do recommend, I saw Advanced Funk Studies in there. Everyone should go through that. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. you have to go well, through that book. There's, 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 uh, there's two books I can absolutely recommend. Uh, advanced, um, well, any Gary Chafee book, any of the three yeah. in the patterns series, mm-hmm. um, which are brilliant, and Gary Chester's The New Breed. I hate that um, book. I would have oh, burned it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that I, in a good way. It is so, so it's so I, hard. I, so for because I, I was always bleating on about this book i'll see if i can find it in here i was always bleating on about it my parents um on my 18th birthday was like oh man he's always studying out of that new breed i know what we'll get him the new breed the new too. breed too <laughs> so it's like thanks so much you know when i get to the end of the new breed and i've really got everything under my hands and feet i'll, I'll make a start as you can see there's not a crease in this book it hasn't yeah. been touched since my 18th i have birthday. the new breed too. i i would show you i have the same stack of books right behind me here yeah and the, i have the new breed too and it is pristine it has oh, never man. been opened I, I think that's the first time i've done it and it was just to leave through to show you um but it's it's exactly it, you know it's like if I don't know what's in the new breed. Two. I've not done it. I, I don't know what's in the new breed two that's not in the new breed one. But <clears throat> it, it's like it's that's what I mean. It's is a lifetime of study in any of those books. Mm-hmm. Certainly to get facility. Certainly to be able to play patterns. You know, ostinatos. Big play. They would play things against one another, um, and with one another in unison, of course. Um, but th- anything else is kind of an excuse. It's like, oh, you know, I got. I got this, and that Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, is a really good example of, of um, you know, of of circumstance and happy accidents, mm-hmm. you know, right place, right time, kind of thing. Um, but also dedication. You know, there's a lot to be said. Um, I, I had a teacher called Bob Armstrong, who is is very very terribly missed in in the UK, and um, it, the beginning of his. Um, the beginning of his uh, tutelage, if you liked, of his of his um, tutoring, he would give everybody the same piece of paper, and 
Bob too taught some Bob too taught some incredible people. And there's all these, you know, these exercises and these swing things and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. Notes from him and all these parts. But if you ever had lessons with Bob, the very first page in your book would be this. And it said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Education will not. Persistence and determination are all powerful. And I like that. He's and that's at the front of every book that he ever did. Every every sheet of paper, he'd be like, "Okay, I've got some important things. This one's how to tune your drums. This one's about what the hi hat is." Blah 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 blah. And this is motivation, and you need to look at this. It determination. It's all powerful. If you want to do it enough, like I was talking about with Spanish, like trying to learn Spanish, really on reflection, if I wanted it enough, I'd do it. I'd learn it yeah. on the train. If I wanted it enough, I'd take a day off and go. Should see a Spanish teacher, or should I should at least get some, I don't know, Duolingo and do it meticulously every day so it starts to sink in. Um, and that's so important, at least to me. It's like you can have these natural abilities, you can be from a musical family, you can have these head starts, but none of it really is. It, you can't touch anything when you put steadfastness and determination into it if benny greb did i don't know six hours a day in his in his workshop he'd be slightly less good yeah I mean, it was still it would still be incredibly staggering don't get me wrong <laughs> but but the point i'm trying to make is it's it's his drive that's got him there it's not accident it's not because he was born benny greb and somebody went do you know what you're going to be really good at this yeah he put the hours in yeah. And in fact, he talks a lot about how he progressed a lot slower than most people that he was like, yeah. you know, it he pra he had to practice so much because he if he practiced for an hour or two a day, like he just wasn't getting better. Yeah. So it was yeah, it was that, almost harder for him. You know, and, and, and what does it for me, I found uh, is qualitative focused, repetitive practice, i.e. consistent. It doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes a day, but keeping sticks in your hand. And I, I really noticed this in this lockdown because when I lost that last gig on, I guess, the 18th of March or whatever it was, 2020, I didn't touch the drums for nearly a month and a half. Mm -hmm. Like, I just was like, I was doing so much before it. I was, I think I was burned out and I was just like, oh. And then I finally went to go and play. And I hated it. I, I did it a couple of times and I hated it both times. And then eventually somebody said, oh, I'm doing my solo album now that I've got time, now that we're locked down, uh, can you put some drums on it? And I really loved that. And I was like, for you, I haven't fallen out of love with the drums. But it was, it was, it was more the point that it's, it's di everybody's different. Everybody's got different motivations. Everybody wants different things from it. But it is all absolutely achievable. Like you were saying with Benny Greb, some people have that natural predisposition to want to be able to push themselves for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And there might be a social trade-off. You know, they might not be particularly gregarious or they might, you know, other stuff might fall by the wayside in pursuit of this one thing that they're fanatical about. But yeah, yeah, that's just human nature. If you want it, you'll go and get it. If you want it enough, mm -hmm you'll do it it's the old thing isn't it if you if you if you like doing something you're good at it if you're good enough at it somebody somewhere is going to give you money to do it ergo you can make yourself a living yep 
Yeah. And it's the I same agree. for anything. In, insert, insert different thing here. It's a bricklayer. If you're a bricklayer, if you build miniature models, if you play the drums, if you blow glass, if you stitch fabric, you know, any of that, whatever it is, if you really care about it, you'll do it a lot. And just mm -hmm. by virtue of doing it a lot. And <clears throat> the repetitive thing. I can, I, before, I've been inspired by something. Maybe I've seen it, I don't know, on Instagram. So I'll save the video and go, man, I need to get that under my belt. That sounds great. And I'll go in and I'll spend four hours in a rehearsal room. I'll take a coffee and some food in with me. And by the end of the four hours, I can play it. Leave it two weeks, go back in. It's just dropped out the end of my brain. Well, the facility's <laughs> yeah. not there. If I make steady progress and I do 10 minutes a day, but every day or every mm -hmm. other day, it becomes part of my lexicon. It becomes part of my um, vocabulary without mm -hmm. thinking about it. It's yeah. not just hours. It's not just man hours of repetitive practice. It's the consistency. It's doing it at regular intervals. So not too long passes between the time that you have sticks in your hand and you're working on something and it becomes part of your language very, mm -hmm. very shortly after it becomes part of your language, I think. Yeah. And I agree. I remember talking to Michael Carvin about it, where he's like, you know, everyone thinks they need to go in and spend four hours in the practice room where it's like, if you can't, if you can't practice five minutes a day for a month, then start there. The progress yeah. that you'll see from the, the, the small, little and often, little and often is really the key. The progress yeah. you'll see is staggering. It's like so much better just spending a little amount of time often. Because, you know, we've all done it. We, we haven't been able to practice or play for a couple of weeks. And then you've got a gig and you get on the gig and it's like the sound check. And it's, oof, none of this feels right. It feels really rusty. <laughs> yeah. And then you're playing every day for whatever reason. And by the end of the tour, you're like, you're absolutely burning because mm -hmm. you've been in that place. You've been sat behind that place. And it's making that consistent and caring enough to, to put in that work that really pays the dividends, I think. Rather yeah. than just sheer amount of numbers, sheer amount of time, Mm -hmm. It's the little and often. It's more about the dates you do it rather than time you do it for. Yeah, I think about it like cramming in college. You know, you're like, I didn't pay attention yeah. all year. Now I'll just spend nine hours studying before the test and you get in there and you don't remember anything. Right. It's exactly the same. It's exactly <laughs> the same. It's it's not it's not a it's not a mystery. It's exactly the same. Yeah. I agree. Are you well, getting to Mark, play a lot? Are you are you are you able to are you out not, playing and no not right now no, no. is it shut um, so you're in la right i'm in la um mm. it's i mean gigs are gigs are starting to open back up um so i had a i had a little bit of an interesting uh because i moved to la and i was traveling a lot for i own an, another company and i was traveling a lot for that and then i was like all right once i get back like i want to you know, start getting into the scene out here and start playing more and COVID hit. And then, so now I've just sort of been, you know, I, I'm, in fact, I just uh, got a, another rehearsal spot that's a lot closer to my house. So the other one was about a half hour away. This one's about five. So, uh, so I can get in there and practice. I, I mean, I, you know, hitting the pad a lot, but not, not doing a lot of gigging right now. So. Yeah. Well, I hope all that will change very shortly. I mean, like I, I do say, too. it's, it's green, it's green shoots here. It's not back to normal, but mm -hmm. it's like you can see the, the buds on the flowers. It's going to be spring sooner or later, but it's right. not quite there yet, but it's it's green shoots, you know. Yeah. 
Well, that's coming good, man. back. So yeah. are you? So are you? You are gigging a decent amount now, or? Yeah. Well, these these uh, these rehearsals for this ABBA thing are every right. day, um, and the Eds that I'm taking time off that to do the Ed stuff, mm-hmm. and um, in the in the daytimes is you know a few sessions coming back, and of course all the film work stopped because they weren't releasing any movies, right? They yeah. were they were nobody was going to the cinema, and people were very wary of like Black Widow and uh, the. Um, and all that sort of stuff. They they've been and the Bond film. They've been sitting on the Bond film for a couple of years now. I mean, it's been ready for for a long while. But they wanted to get it to a place where they could release it to the public and not have a soft Netflix or Apple TV right. release. You know, they want right. bums on seats for for cinema goers, and and rightly so. So a lot of that stuff stopped, and gently it's coming back. Not yeah, not, you know, gently it's sort of those sort of things coming. People are allowed yeah. to get married and have an audience now, or, or a, a congregation now. Yeah. So those gigs came back very early on, and the rest of the stuff's kind of falling behind it, trickling into place. Well, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting so. there. Hopefully soon. Uh, but man, I appreciate you taking the time to chat, coming on the podcast, sharing your wisdom. I could, I could go on for much longer and continue to talk with you. So. Um, but I, I do appreciate it. I'm glad to see that that you made it sort of we're not through COVID yet, but but <laughs> it seems like we're we're on the other side of it. So I'm glad to see light that, at the end uh, of the tunnel. that you made it. There is some light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm glad to see that and 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 just you know, congratulate you on all the success that you've had and then continued success as well and, and hope you stay safe. Yeah. And you too, you too. It's been really lovely Thank speaking you. to a like minded musician and geeking out about drums. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. Good we'll stuff. have to have you back sometime. Oh man. Awesome. There you have it. That was Mark Pusey and you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 631 if you want to grab the show notes also you can follow him on instagram and get all the links and everything to his stuff inside of the show notes as well and also leave a rating or review that makes uh the podcast show up higher in the search results lets people know that they should be listening to this and i feel like there haven't been a lot of reviews lately so that's either good or bad i'm not quite sure but if you have a minute please do that on apple podcast you can do that very easily you can either rate it one through five stars or you can actually write a review either one i get to read them the unfortunate part is i never know who writes them so i can never i can't and there's no way to respond to them so if you do in fact leave a review email me that you left a review so that i can personally thank you and i may even have a uh, a little gift for you so And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.